Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of The Rambler. I am your host, Mike McDonald. This week, my guest is Sally Spickard. Yes, Sally Spickard, the adoptee, Korean adoptee from Missouri. She now lives in California, where she is following her dreams, her equestrian dreams, her horse dreams. She uh, is in in the spirit of the Olympics this year, which I hope you're all watching because uh, it's amazing, and the U.S., is leading right now currently i don't want to jinx it but congrats to uh, all the teams over there in rio the swimming team men's and women's and the women's gymnastics team and everybody who's making history down there it's incredible to watch and i'm hoping to see sally spickard in the future in tokyo in 2020 where she hopes to join the south korean olympic eventing team and eventing if you didn't know is an equestrian sport and you can learn more about that in the interview in just a second with sally spickard in the meantime i just uh, yeah want to uh, follow up i wanted to say uh you know the olympics are are going on right now i'm very pumped i love the olympics i continue to love the olympics uh they're just it's it's really just fantastic to watch this amazing performance demonstration of human power and human potential it's incredible and uh there's been a lot of on the on the uh, twitter sphere on the internets on the interwebs uh some stuff about uh simone biles who obviously is making history incredible olympic history is what she's doing unfortunately some of this olympic history and what she's accomplishing down there in rio is being marred a little bit by some ignorant commentary by Al Troutwig over there at NBC, whom, of course, NBC has exclusive rights to the Olympics within the United States. And Al, unfortunately, over there at NBC, uh, was commentating on Simone Biles and her parents, her adoptive parents and her story. And uh, he basically tweeted out afterwards because he said, you know, they weren't her real parents, quote, real parents. They uh, are her grandparents. And then somebody, of course, on Twitter tried to correct him and he shot back. No, those still aren't her real parents. I believe he has since apologized, but obviously there is a lot of work to do uh, correcting the ignorance or surrounding adoption still. So this podcast isn't going to be going away anytime soon. And uh Hopefully, you know, we can correct some of the ignorance out there. That being said, Simone Biles had probably the best response you could have to something like that, which uh, she said, uh, actually, no, my parents are my parents and that's it. Fantastic. Thank you, Simone Biles, for being such an amazing human being, uh, both as an Olympian and an athlete, as well as an adoptee. Not only that, but we have in the upcoming Paralympics, also in Rio, Scout Bassett, who is a Chinese adoptee and Paralympian. She'll be uh, doing the track and field events, and I'm very much looking forward to watching all of those and her success in Rio. Finally, before we get started into uh, my conversation with Sally Spickard, I just wanted to give a shout out to Zeke Anders. And if you are in the Chicago area, in the area of Chicago, Metro, join him on August 20th, where he will be continuing his photographic journey of the CAD Diaries. And I I encourage anybody in that area who's a Korean adoptee to head over and get in touch with him. He's on Twitter. You can find him at Zeke Anders, Z-E-K-E-A-N-D-E-R-S. You can also look him up on Facebook um, and check out those events because if you're in the Chicago area, I really think it's amazing what he's doing out there. And if you haven't heard of it before, look up the CAD Diaries, K-A-D Diaries, and check out his awesome photojournalism over there. It's, it's really incredible, and I commend him on his efforts in doing that. Uh, with that, let's just get into the interview with Sally Spickard. Enjoy. Enjoy. Jamba juice, huh? 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hot. It's like 100 much. degrees here. Yeah, it's about the same here, too. Summer is in full effect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I desperately want to go to the beach. <laughs> Yep, me too. But uh, I haven't found any free time. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. I have another <laughs> tomorrow, but maybe I'll find some time. It'd be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Are you, so you live in Missouri, is that right? I am um, from Missouri originally, but I just moved to California in May. Oh, okay. So you're in California now? Yes. Very nice. Yeah. <laughs> What's happening in California? What moved I moved out. I moved out here to work for uh, an Olympic equestrian rider, and so I had um, I had a professional relationship with her already, and I uh, she had an opening at her facility, and so I talked to her, and then I decided to go ahead and make the move. That is awesome. Which part of California is this Olympic equestrian uh, extravaganza happening? <laughs> <laughs> um, she's in Temecula, California, so she's right in between San Diego and LA, so Southern California. Nice. Very nice. That's a pretty convenient yeah. location. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's just that Temecula is kind of like the desert, so that's why it's so hot. Yeah. Is it at least a dry heat? Yes. No, it's, there's not really any humidity, which is very nice compared to what I'm used to. Yeah, exactly. I've spent the uh, the summer out in Missouri. It's uh, it's pretty withering sometimes. How hot <laughs> it's it pretty gets. miserable, yeah. I was surprised. I was like, oh, this is bad. This is really bad. And then also yeah. it's bitterly cold in the in the winter. Yep. Yeah, you don't really get any reprieve from – you don't really get any nice weather ever. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh, poor Missouri. Missouri like <laughs> so wait, which part of Missouri are you from originally? I'm from St. Louis um, originally, and then – so then I went to college in Georgia, and then I moved back to St. Louis, and then uh, about four years ago I moved to Kansas City, and then I was there until I moved out here. Okay, so kind of all over Missouri and then Georgia. Yes, <laughs> with one little outlier in Georgia for four years. So. Yes, all right. Well, uh, so you were adopted from Korea? Yes. Uh, how old were you when you were adopted? I was three months old, so I was born on October – well, my record said I was born on October 30th, and I, was, I landed in the States on January 31st of the next year. Okay, and you uh, landed where? Straight into St. Louis? Actually, into Kansas City, which is ironic just because that's where I ended up living. But, yeah, I flew into Kansas City. Oh, okay. Kansas City, Missouri or Kansas City, Kansas? Yes, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> is there, like, a separate airport on the other side of the border? No, but Kansas City, Kansas, there's, like, nothing there. And so whenever people say Kansas City, you always – it's always the Missouri side. They always think there's, Missouri. Yeah. It's, yeah. Kansas City, Kansas, is, it's just not really a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's kind of so. funny to me about uh, – I, I lived in Missouri for a very short period of time, like uh, probably, I guess, 10 months or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I lived kind of in the middle of the state. And so I didn't realize before moving there that there are actually two St. Louis's and two Kansas City. Yep. Very confusing. <laughs> and, and the opposite of, the of each of are terrible. Are yeah. Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. No, East St. Louis, um, St. Louis, Illinois is like the cesspool of Missouri, like of the St. Louis area. So it's, you know, it's, and that's, that's one of the areas that contributes to St. Louis being one of the most dangerous cities in the country. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's like, that's not even part of Missouri. Like, why are you putting that in our statistics? But you know, yeah, it's, no. it's, it's a sore subject. <laughs> I remember, uh, we, we crossed the bridge into East St. Louis one time because we thought there was like a gas station we can get to, to over there. Oh, no. And we, I think yeah. we immediately got pulled over by a cop and they're like, what are you doing here? You need to <laughs> yeah, you need to leave. <laughs> and you need to get on that side of the bridge right now. 
Yeah, pretty much. I was like, oh, oh this is serious. Like they're they're not screwing around over here. Yeah, like, no, they're yeah, yeah, definitely not a good idea to stop there. <laughs> That's what they said. They were like, if you yeah. don't live here and you don't have a purpose, leave. Yep, pretty much. Like, okay, see ya. I guess <laughs> gas in St. Louis proper. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then Kansas City, Missouri, I mean, is it the same story in uh, Kansas City, Kansas? No, no, Kansas City, Kansas is fine, um, but it's just, there's just not very much stuff there. It's just not, like, all of the cultural things, the airport, all of the municipality, like, all of that is on the Missouri side, so. Like, all, both baseball teams are in Missouri, basically. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is in Missouri. So, yeah, I was asking, do you pronounce it Missouri or Missouri? I've always said Missouri. I oh, feel yeah. like it's the older generations that say Missouri. I've never really, that's not really as common as you would think. So I think a lot of those regional and uh, local dialects are kind of dying down with the advent of the internet and television. I, so yeah. I guess a lot of the accents in general have kind of died out since television, but the, even like local pronunciations of things have died down. I, I guess with the internet too, it's just further yeah. spread. Yeah, I would agree with that. So you flew in from Korea to Kansas City. Yes. <laughs> and then you, your family's originally from St. Louis? Yes. And what do, you, what do your parents do? What brought them out to St. Louis? Um, my dad, well, my dad grew up in St. Louis and he went to college and grad school in St. Louis, so he just never really left. And then my, um, my adoptive mom, same thing. She was from kind of a small town in Missouri and um, she... Same kind of thing. She never really left. And I think they met in college or something like that. And then my dad has since gotten remarried. And my stepmom is from another like smaller part of St. of uh, like the St. Louis area. So oh, yeah. just kind of a St. Louis born and bred family. Okay. So everybody's from St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, college did they go to? My dad went to the uh, Washington University. Okay. Yeah. Wash so, U. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Good school. Yes. Uh, very good school. <laughs> Yeah. As far as I understand it, I never, I never went there. I ended up going to uh, Webster for my oh, master's okay. degree. Yeah, the, I believe yeah. the mascot is the Gorlocks, which is apparently... <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's completely... So this is the best part, is that it's completely made up by the school. Wow, okay. It's a made-up mythical creature. I forget the uh, different pieces of different beasts that they kind of threw in a blender to make this thing. Okay. And uh, the, it's named after the intersection. The, the name Gorlock, I guess, is a portmanteau of one of the major cross streets at Webster University. <laughs> wow. I mean, you got to give them points for originality. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard anything like that before. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like nobody, you know, it could have been like, wor it could have been worse because there's probably like 18 teams that have tigers as their mascots. And sure, then, you know, yeah. so... So, yeah, I mean, at least they're original. Well, Mizzou, Mizzou's the Tigers, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. And then in the SEC alone, where I went to school, I think there's at least two Tigers. There's LSU and then there's Auburn. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. So, you know. To, <laughs> a lot of Tigers. Like, think of something else. There's so many other animals out there. And, you know. <laughs> and if you run out of those, you can make them up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> As Webster has shown. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, points for, points for originality and creativity, Webster. Good job. Yeah. Good yeah, job. good job. Thumbs up, Webster. <laughs> All right. How was growing up in uh, in St. Louis? So, you, so not East St. Louis. You did not? No, no. Yeah, I, I would probably be in a much different lifestyle if I grew up in East St. I'm Louis. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it was it was fine. I, I grew up in a, a nice suburban area of St. Louis. And, um, 
you know, the thing that the running joke about St. Louis is that people always ask where you went to high school. Oh, really? Um, because there's literally, I don't, there's probably, there has to be over 20 high schools to choose from just in the St. Louis metro and suburban sure, area. Yeah. Um, so it's just, a, it's a big thing to judge people based on where they went to school. So I guess that's just what we're known for. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was, it was great. Um, you know, I, I lived in a really pretty nice area and went to a good school and, um, mm-hmm. so not too bad. And St. Louis is a, a pretty diverse area too. It's, I didn't get the sense that it was like completely all white there. Um, um how, is, was, how was it for you? You know, I, I, um, you know, I spent a lot of my time growing up not really paying attention to the fact that I looked different from my family. It didn't really bother me so much. Mm-hmm. But I will say that the the area that I grew up in, I would say, was definitely mostly white. Most A lot of Jewish community, a lot of Jewish families in oh, that yeah? area. Wow. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm guessing you weren't raised Jewish. No. No, I was not. <laughs> How, did you grow up in a religious household in the, in the Midwest out there? Yeah, I uh, my so my mother was a Jehovah's Witness. Um, okay. So I was actually raised as a Jehovah's Witness, which was um, you know quite the experience to say the least. And um, so she was, you know, there's people in every religion that kind of take it to the next level, and uh-huh. she was one of those. Oh yeah. Um. So she kind of, uh, yeah, she she took it very very literally, and mm-hmm. um, so I was I was a Jehovah's Witness until I was not a part of. Until my parents got divorced, basically. Oh, okay, and your um, your father was not a Jehovah's Witness. No, he wasn't. He wasn't interested in it. Okay, how do I, so? But it sounds like your mother kind of took over the religious part of your upbringing. <laughs> yeah, no, she she went crazy with it, and she um, actually pulled me out of public school. And I was after my fourth grade year, she pulled me out and homeschooled me um, for two years. Because she thought that the public schools were too much of a bad influence, and oh, really? that I wasn't—I was around too many people that weren't Jehovah's Witnesses. Was there a specific um, incident that sparked this, or was it like no. just general? Yeah, no. Like literally, I still remember the night that she was like, "You're not going to go back to school next year," and I was like, "Well, there goes my life." Because you know, I, you know, I'm mm. granted I was only in fourth grade, but I—I I was a pretty perceptive kid, and I just she, um, she she wasn't normal. Um, so she just kind of really took everything to the extreme and those next two or three years of my life were awful because she just, um, you know, she wouldn't let me do anything that wasn't related to going to meetings at church or anything like that. So, wow. Yeah. So was yeah. Like, it was tough. You were on like lockdown for two years. Oh yeah. Yeah. So is that like a, did you feel like you were being grounded then for two years? <laughs> like, what um, was that like? More or less. Yeah. So my dad and she and my dad didn't have a very good relationship because of her religion, because he wasn't a part of it. So she stopped trusting him. Oh, wow. And um, so she spent a lot of time isolating me from my dad and she wouldn't let me have any sort of interaction with him. And so eventually I actually kind of started going behind her back and just like literally writing my dad letters because I hadn't like, she would never let us be alone together so I could talk to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, or to, to him, I mean, so I would literally start writing him letters. And so he actually would like buy me like CDs and books and stuff to listen to because I had no literal, literally no connection to anything outside of my house. Um, wow. 
And so this was when the internet was first kind of becoming a thing. And so we got the internet at my house and he ended up buying me like a laptop in secret, which God only knows how much that cost. I have no, you know, back then. Yeah. And how do you um, hide something like that? You don't. I just, I don't have any idea. So I basically like would stay up all night after she went to bed and would just get on the internet and like, I would go in like internet chat rooms because that's literally the only like outlet I had. I had no friends. I had nobody to talk to. So that was basically my life while I was growing up. That is insane. When yeah. Did, when did your parents uh, split? Um, they split when I was like right before I turned thirteen. Okay. So fourth, let's see, fifth, sixth, and seventh grade year, I was homeschooled. So those were kind of like the the, the years that I was really much more isolated than most mm-hmm. other kids. So your your mom homeschool started homeschooling you. She pulled you out of public school and started homeschooling you. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of that your parents kind of split up. Yeah, kind of at the end of that, honestly, because unbeknownst to me, my dad was actually doing a lot of work behind the scenes to try and build a case to leave her and take custody of me. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, as in most states, the, the courts generally tend to favor the mothers. So it's mm-hmm. really hard for a dad to get exclusive custody. Um, and he, you know, I still honestly don't know everything that he had to do because he never made me, he made it so that I really didn't have to go to court. Like all I had to do was, um, basically tell the lawyers like, look, this lady's crazy and I don't want to live with her. I mean, basically, you know, the gist of what I said. Um, and so she, he actually showed up at the house one day uh-huh. with two cops because he knew that she was going to put up a fight. And my mom came in my room and she was like, your dad's taking you to away. Um, and I, you know, meanwhile, me, like at this point I was so resentful and I just wanted to get out that I wasn't even upset. Like I was like, this is great. This is the best day ever, you know, like, and of course I couldn't really act like that to her, but, um, so yeah, I, um, we left and we moved into his parents' house and just kind of moved around from there while he kind of got stabilized. And, um, that was basically the last time that I saw her. I've seen her a couple times since then, but, um, that was essentially the last time I saw or talked to her. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty, um, pretty dramatic way to end a, end a marriage. But I mean, it, it, come to find out later, I mean, uh, it was very obvious, but she just never went and did anything. And I don't think that she really knew, but come to find out later that she was very highly schizophrenic, Oh no. um, which explains a lot of the behavior, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, just very, um, just very uh, fanatical about her religion. She was um, quite abusive towards myself and very emotionally abusive towards my dad. Um, but just a lot of mental health issues there. Yeah, yeah. So your dad was really protecting you. Yeah. No, like he did a lot. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he you did have, a lot. You have an ongoing relationship with him? Yeah, I do. I mean, my dad's, um, he's a very, you know, selfless person. He would literally do anything for me. Um, and, you know, it took me a while to kind of realize that because once my parents split up, um, he kind of went the opposite direction and just spoiled the crap out of me and just bought me whatever I wanted. And because he felt like he had 13 years of missing out to make up for, which wow. I get. Yeah. Um, so it kind of though, like I, I turned it a little bit ungrateful because when you just get things thrown at you that I think that tends to happen when you're that young. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little bit tumultuous, like kind of throughout high school and college because I just kind of took it for granted and I kind of went the other direction. Um, but now that we're, you know, well, now that I'm older, <laughs> um, I guess you know it's it's gotten a lot better. Yeah, no, I, I mean, like, well, what kind of what kind of stuff would he get you to? <laughs> yeah, n- to nothing extravagant, you. but like it was like you know, if I wanted to go to the mall, he would give me a hundred bucks to go shopping and to get whatever I wanted, or like buy me concert tickets, or like 
take me shopping for clothes, just, just normal things that a normal parent would do, but just kind of all at once, you know, because he felt like he had to just make up for all this lost time. And I don't think he really, I don't, you know, I don't think he really knew because he really, I was his only child and he didn't get to, to raise me. So I don't think he really knew what he was doing. He was like, well, this makes her happy. Let's just give her some money. I don't know. So, yeah. So it was kind of just like, it sounds like a combination of trying to make up for lost time. Uh, mm-hmm. maybe not knowing how to parent by himself. Yeah, then, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Trying to, I, I don't know if he was, cause it doesn't sound like he was trying to win you over since you were no. already on his side yeah. <laughs> throughout the years. But, uh, it's, yeah, maybe making up for a lot of lost time and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, I think that's what it was. In a high volume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds <Yes>. like. <laughs> All at once. That so. is, yeah, that's crazy. Did you, yeah. So uh, did you ever have to, like, get a job or anything? Or was it just like. No, I did. <laughs> um, I got a job. Um, let's see. The following summer, I think I got a job just. at. So that's when I started riding horses was when my parents split it. My mom would never let me do it because she was too afraid. And so he let me start taking lessons. And so the barn that I was writing at, she, um, they had a summer camp. So Mm -hmm. I was able to get, that was my first job was a summer camp counselor. I think I made like 200 bucks a month doing it or something, you know, something small for a kid. Um, so yeah, I've been, I've been working. Yeah, no, I mean, I made like six or 700 bucks for the whole summer. I thought I was rich. Yeah. You were Um, rich as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) So um, yeah. And so I've, I've worked actually since that's ever since that summer. And after that I was a lifeguard. So he, he made me get jobs, but it wasn't like to, you know, it was just to kind of teach me that I needed to work. Yeah. Yeah. So teach you responsibility and everything yeah. like that. So you were a teenage, what, why, why horses exactly? Um, I don't know. I, um, it's funny because, uh, this whole time through my adoption searches I've been I've had this fantasy that like maybe my mom was like an Olympic equestrian writer or something like that and it's just that's not true at all um so that's just complete fantasy so I don't really know where it came from I just know that ever since I was a little kid I've just had this weird thing for horses and it just it it wasn't a phase like it never went away so yeah well don't know the answer to that (laughs) why did you think your mother was an Olympic equestrian (laughs) because I was like it has to be in my blood somewhere right like this is a genetic obsession and and most of my friends were like no you're crazy like that's just what little girls like and you just never grew out of it and I was like I guess so but that would be a much cooler story so you're like always that little girl that was like I want a pony (laughs) yeah oh yeah oh yeah And I guess yeah. you didn't just have, a, did you ever like own a horse? Do you own a horse now? Or I it- do now. Um, so my dad never actually bought me a horse, which of course at the time as a 13. Of course, right. He would lease me horses like for the summer to, okay. and he would pay for like my lessons and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, he, he did what he could, you know, it was just obviously a very expensive sport. Yes. No. Yeah. No kidding. I think my yeah. sister rode horses for like a year or two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we have a friend who owns two horses she she and her mom like run an animal rescue out in like arizona so oh cool they have like a whole menagerie of animals out there. yeah yeah they add up quickly somehow i don't know what it is but yeah it's always like another dog more cats yep, yep. <laughs> it's fine what is money i don't need that but the horses are totally cool like uh, i think they're just like they're beautiful animals yeah they're very yeah, athletic no, obviously great. and they have an awesome history in terms of uh Stuff like the military application of them or, yeah. or just like travel or the post service and stuff. So, I yeah. mean, super cool. I mean, so you were always obsessed with horses, basically. Always, yes. <laughs> and then, so, so when, so you, so you go through high school in St. Louis, you're mm-hmm. living with your dad, and then you decide to go to college in Georgia? 
Yeah. So my dad, my senior year of high school, got a job in Atlanta. And so he was actually commuting back and forth. He would drive down um, on Sunday night and then come home on Friday night. So it was um, it was pretty tough. But he basically did that because my stepbrother and I were both in our senior years of high school. So he didn't want to make us move, which was, again, very selfless of him. Um, so I didn't really know where I wanted to go to college and I had applied and gotten into some pretty good schools, but I just, I wasn't really into the idea. Um, and so I, I chose Georgia because I would be able to get in state tuition there. So I was like, well, at least if I hate it, it's not like a $25,000 waste of money. It's like a $5,000 waste of money. Um, so that's, that's how I ended up down there. Okay. What did you end up studying while you were at Georgia? Um, I kind of flipped around a little bit, but landed on, on journalism and English. Um, so, but you know, college was hard because I kind of, um, left home and did as much, like I joined a sorority and I joined the equestrian team and I was just taking like, I don't know, like 17 or 18 credit hours my first semester, which don't ever do that. That's That's so stupid. Yeah. So I, I, I struggled hard, like college, college was hard and, um, you know, I, I definitely could have made much better of it because I, I I did well in high school, but I just didn't have the work ethic to do as much as well as I could have. I was the same way in college. Yeah, I actually just submitted more paperwork for uh, another master's degree, and it's like so embarrassing that I have to like give my college transcript. <laughs> it was like, yeah, well, send your college transcript. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to do no, that. No, you don't want to see those. Those don't matter. <laughs> those are terrible. I feel like I have much better work ethic now as a mm-hmm. as a formed adult than I did any time during college. And, you know, oh, absolutely. High school, yeah, same way. I had like great work ethics, straight A yep. student, very high GPA. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, you know, by no means was I the valedictorian or anything like that. No, but, yeah. You know, I think college, it was, yeah, I did the same thing. I took like 20 something credit hours. I was like, I could do mm-hmm. this. I can manage yeah. this. Yeah. And then I also decided because I had like a T1 dedicated internet connection that I was like, <laughs> oh, T1. And I can do like a birth search right now. So <laughs> I can manage all of this and a birth search and yep. extracurricular stuff. and partying all the time yep no issues (laughs) yep no problem yeah and volunteering in new york city so oh my god weekends were busy too i was like all over the place so it sounds like you were the same way (laughs) yep yeah i definitely i'm very big on biting off more that i can chew like even to this day i'm very i'm really good at doing that oh yeah yeah. In, in what ways? In what ways? <laughs> just, you know, I just feel like I can do everything and I can't. Um, and so, you know, it, it leads to bad decisions and, and trying to take on more than what I can handle. And, um, you know, whether it's taking on more things than what I can pay for or um, just more work than what I can actually handle with my schedule. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, I, I tend to just try and do too much. Yeah, so. no, I hear that. I definitely hear that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm always, I feel like constantly in, in situations like that where it's like, yeah, do you feel like you say yes to it, like too many things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really bad at saying no. <laughs> but at least you recognize that within yourself. You have that kind of self-reflection to be like, I should say no, but I'm not right. going to. <laughs> but I'm not going to. <laughs> so you end up studying journalism in English? Yeah. Did you do anything with that afterwards? Um, not until about three years ago. <laughs> okay. Um, so I worked in retail and I worked for enterprise, um, on their fleet side for a few years. Um, okay. and I just kind of bounced around. I worked in a restaurant industry for a really long time just because it was more about money for me than actually having a career. Mm-hmm. And so at the time I just wanted to make as much money as I could, um, and then spend it as fast as I could. So that, that's, that's always a good idea. Um, but yeah, no, so it wasn't until a few years ago that I actually started actually writing for a living. And so that's kind of what I'm still trying to do now. Okay. What do you generally write about? I know you have your blog going. 
Yeah, I have my blog and then I have, um, you know, I work, I work for an equestrian website that covers the sport that I compete in. Um, so I kind of worked my way up through them and was managing some of their advertising accounts and that sort of thing. And then I've kind of taken a step back with that because of this position that I'm working here in California. Um, I just don't have as much time as I used to. So I've kind of taken a step back from that, but I'm still trying to string together some freelance gigs so I can keep doing this for a living. Sure. Yeah. And at least you're writing about something that you know about. Yeah, exactly. And, and something that I love to write about because writing about stuff that you don't either know and or care about is extremely difficult. So tell me about it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I could try to build an interest in this or I could write about what I know and love. Right. Exactly. So that, so when did you start doing, you said three years ago, you started working for them? Yes. And then how did you get involved with, with the moving out to California and everything? So you said, you know, this person professionally, I guess, from, is she also from my job? No, she's not. Um, so I had actually been a huge fan of hers since, uh, God, I don't know, since I first started following the sport and, um, I met her for the first time in 2013 when I had just started this job and they had sent me to Texas to cover a competition and I, she was actually my second interviewee ever that I did a little video interview with. So, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, obviously thought she was a really nice person and, you know, didn't really get to know her by any means, but just kind of planted the seed and then, um, kind of kept in touch with her over the next couple of years, just through interviews and that sort of thing. And, um, ended up bringing her to Kansas city last year, twice to do, um, to teach a clinic. Um, oh, cool. So just, you know, and then from there, after I, after I actually got the opportunity to learn from her, I was like, you know, this, this person really seems to have, um, the teaching style that I can really relate to. And I feel like I could actually make progress. So I kind of, in the back of my head, made it a goal to at some point move out here and work with her. Um, and so it just kind of happened a little bit sooner than I thought because I, the, the opportunity just kind of came up because my plan was honestly to wait like a year and then to approach her and say like, Hey, I'd really like to come and work for you. Is there any opportunities? And then this position came open and I was like, well, I feel like life is kind of telling me to go. So, yeah. So what position are you in now working out in California? So I'm basically her head groom, um, which essentially just means that I, um, and you know, kind of one of her right hand support people at the barn, just kind of helping her with her, her everyday stuff. And then when she goes to competitions, um, you know, I'll go with her and help her and, you know, I'm not the only one. There's definitely an entire village of people that it takes to support, um, so, you know, at this level that's just, there's so much to do at all times. Yeah. Um, but I'm just kind of part of that support staff. So I think. Uh, Olympia, Olympic equestrianism. Is that, is that, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, more or less. (laughs) (laughs) It's so interesting because like usually with Olympic sports, like you would think like, I think like swimming or running Mm -hmm. or judo or whatever, you know, the athlete is just that single person, right? Right. Unless you're playing like soccer or a team sport and even that's just people, but it's like with equestrianism. It's like both the the jock the jockey, right? Yeah, uh, rider. I guess the rider, the best. Yeah, <laughs> and, and the horse itself. They're both have to be like at Olympic levels. Yes. So yeah. it's it's almost like a team sport, just the two of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, are there like mismatches with uh, horses and people and or, oh, or for riders? Sure. Yeah. No, you you definitely and you know our sport, which is called eventing. Um, I feel is probably one where your relationship with your horse um, is the most important because, you know, it's a three phase competition. So it's essentially kind of like a triathlon. 
Um, and the one of the trickiest phases that you really have to have a gutsy horse and a gutsy rider is called cross country. And that's basically jumping over a, a you know, two to three to four mile track that has solid obstacles that Jeez. are ginormous and um, you're going at speed. And so there's a lot of technicality and a lot of size and a lot of bravery that's required. And so mm-hmm. if you don't have a trusting relationship, you know, people say like, oh, people beat those horses over those jumps. That's, you know, if, if a thousand pound animal doesn't want to do something, it's not going to do it. You know, I mean, <laughs> there's not a whole lot you can do to make it. Um, so, you know, those horses really do truly love what they do. But at the same time, they have to trust that their rider is not going to put them in a bad situation where they could get hurt. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for that reason, the qualifications to get to that level are pretty, you know, they've gotten a little more stringent over the years because they don't want people that are loaded with money to go and buy themselves a horse that's been to the Olympics and then try to go around the top course in the country because that's just, it's not safe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to kind of qualify and work your way up with a certain, with your horse and so that you're both qualified and so that on paper, at least it looks like you're, you're competent. So. Uh, is there ever a case where it looks good on paper and it, they're not competent? Oh yeah, yeah, all the time. I mean, you know, you you don't you hate to 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 judge or, or make speculation about anybody that you don't know. Um, you know, somebody might buy a new horse and go around a course and not have a very good time, and but you don't know everything that's gone into that. So it's it's. I try not to speculate too much about, you know, people that are have that have new horses that are trying to get around and are having trouble because it's, it's hard. It's tough. Um, but yes, absolutely. There are definitely mismatches. And that's why a lot of horses end up getting sold because the rider is mature enough to realize that it would do better with somebody else. Mm. When, when, how early does that relationship start with the horse? Um, it depends. You know, my coach Holly now, she has a couple horses, um, one in particular that she's had since he was, I don't know, I think four or five. So that she's had it three or four years and she kind of started him and has worked her way up to the, through the levels. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that will buy horses that, for example, used to be race horses and, mm-hmm. um, that just aren't successful. And the, those horses are still very athletic and have a lot of potential. So people will buy a you know, a horse for a couple thousand dollars, which in the horse world is nothing, um, sure. and build it up and, and take it to the Olympics. So, wow. um, you know, it's, it's, there's a horse that's going for America this year, um, who used to be a racehorse. So, you know, it just shows that anything can happen. Yeah, now this horse has to go cross country and vote yeah. himself and this rider over these great obstacles. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's insane. I mean, the amount of athleticism and courage that those horses have, it's it's pretty incredible. What is the like training like for for those kind of events? I mean, how is it like every single day, or do you have to take a break? Or Um, it's you know every training program is a little different, but it's very strenuous. I mean, there's a lot of fitness work involved for the top Mm -hmm. levels because you're essentially running a marathon. Um, And so fitness for both horse and rider is very important. And then um, you know just kind of working on the little things at home that are going to get you more points when you're actually in front of a judge. So um, yeah, it's a six to seven five, uh, five six seven day a week kind of thing where they're training and essentially just be, being athletes. I mean, a lot of these horses get massage and body work and chiropractic work and sure, yeah. um, all sorts of things. So And the rider too, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Although you know, the, the running joke among horseback riders is that we spend all of our money taking care of our horses and then don't do anything for ourselves. So it's um, that's kind of a running joke. <laughs> so what, what is the Olympic training like for the rider? Um, you know, it, like again, it depends. Um, but you know, you still want to be fit because the fitter you are, the easier of a time your horse is going to have trying uh-huh. to carry your your butt around the course. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of you know, riding gets you fit, um, but there's a lot of things, you know, cardio and that sort of thing. A lot of riders do CrossFit. 
Um, oh, a yeah. lot of them, you know, do are just kind of like into running and that sort of thing. So there's there's a lot that people can do to make themselves stronger, which only helps in competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see some uh, running numbers behind you. Uh, is it? Oh yeah, LA that's run? my my roommate. Oh um, yeah, I, I can't take credit for those. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely am not a runner. No? So do you do the CrossFit then? <laughs> no, no. But I don't do either one of those. I was talking about everybody else. Um, no, I just, you know, I, <laughs> I, 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 I've, uh, I've done a lot. Of, I, I enjoy going to the gym. Um, but for me, it's just a matter of not having time. So my fitness usually just comes from the work that I do. So. Mm-hmm. I guess you're, are, you feel like you're trying to get back more into the writing side of things now? Um, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I guess that doesn't require as much a uh, marathon run. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I mean, you know, as far as my riding is concerned, um, you know, that's always going to be my career. And then as far as the horseback riding, um, you know, I'd love to eventually maybe make some money doing it. But there's just, you know, there's not a whole lot of money to be made necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have to have a way to support yourself, which I'm definitely still trying to figure that out. But um, you know, I, at some point, yes, I think it would be cool to be a professional, but I, that's not an immediate goal of mine. Yeah, yeah. So earlier you had mentioned, uh, you know, you thought that your uh, your biological mother was also an Olympic equestrian. Yeah, um, she's did, not. <laughs> did you think a lot about that kind of stuff when you were a kid? Um, you know, not as much as I really. It, no, not really. Um, I, I I didn't really question anything about my adoption until I was in my late twenties, mm-hmm. um, and it just for me it's just like I had known since before I can remember that I was adopted, and it was just kind of a part of my my life. And I never really thought of any way that it could have possibly affected me or anything like that. Yeah. And so you, you had mentioned you're an only child. So did your parents, uh, make available to you any of your files or anything like that, or bring it to any adoption related events as a kid? No. Um, no, they didn't do anything adoption related. They kind of, I think, I don't remember when they told me, but at some point they told me that my parents were in college because that's what was written in my file. Um, but it, it, you know, if I would have asked, I think they would have shared whatever they had, but I just never was curious about it until later. So when I was curious about it a couple of years ago, they, they gave me whatever they did have. Okay. What kind of, what sparked the curiosity when you were in your late twenties? Um, so my ex-boyfriend, um, had dated a first generation Korean girl in college. And so when we first started dating, he kind of asked, you know, he's like, Hey, you know, have you ever, you know, been back to Korea? Have you ever had Korean food? And I was like, no, I've never done any of that. Like, that's stupid. And, um, (laughs) so on our second date, he took me to a Korean restaurant and I was like, I was, I was kind of in that self loathing stage where I was really self-conscious doing anything Korean or anything Mm -hmm. Asian because I just Mm -hmm. didn't want to be stereotyped. And so I just remember being really uncomfortable because I was like, I'm going to go in this restaurant and this waitress is going to think that I know what I'm doing and I've never been here before. And he's like, it's fine. And so he, um, you know, he took me there and then over time we kind of talked about it more and he kind of, kind of, he kind of piqued that curiosity. Um, and you know, it's really to his credit that I, I did most of this because, um, he, without being overbearing, he really encouraged me to. And, um, the, 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 the small amount of knowledge that he did have about Korean culture and the language and the food and everything was, was very helpful, um, without making me feel like I was like, uh, without making me feel self-conscious about it, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, so he knew a little bit of Korean, did you say? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he actually had made a lot of Korean friends in college because believe it or not that he went to Missouri state university and I guess they actually have a quite a large Asian community there, like exchange really? type students. Yeah. Okay. 
uh, or at least at the time. I mean, this was several years ago. But so he, um, you know, and he had met this girl who was over from Korea for for school. And so she, he just kind of integrated with her friends and um, had a lot of first generation Korean friends in college. So wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. Middle of like... Missouri. I don't know why you're in Korea and be like, I want to go to the middle of Missouri. For, I have no idea. Um, but not that it's not a good school, but you just never would think like go to like Stanford or, or I don't know, Georgia, like that would be a more <laughs> obvious choice, you know, but you know, not that it's not a good school. No, I mean, I think it's funny because it's just, I, I've heard that about all kinds of exchange programs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll find like these Chinese exchange students. They're in the most random like, places. Michigan yeah. or something. It's like, why would you choose to go there? Yeah. Sometimes it's just it. an agreement, I think, with the universities. Yeah. Somehow they made this agreement. Like, I know, you know, I went to Rutgers for my undergrad, and they were their foreign exchange student thing. Uh, like, I could have studied in Seoul, and their agreement was with Iwa University, mm-hmm. which is actually an all women's college. Oh, good. Yeah, you would have fit right in. Yeah, I would have been like, cool, cool. <laughs> I'm good here. This is good. This is good. Yeah. Right, girls. Right. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, your odds are stuff. great there. This is fantastic. Yep. Uh, that didn't happen, but that's the agreement that they had. But it's like, why, why Ewa? Why not like Seoul National University or one of those? Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I guess it goes both ways. It does. Yeah. I feel like it, it really does. It's just whatever random agreement. So uh, when did you? So you start getting your interest about your adoption and your Koreanness peaked mm-hmm. during uh, this relationship. Mm-hmm. with your ex-boyfriend at the time or your boyfriend at the time um th- when did you decide after after eating korean barbecue or something <laughs> the first time you were like i gotta go back and get go to the source um no it still took me a while um let's see it took me you know what i think happened is i think i kind of did a just a random Google search. And I found this blog of this girl who had gone on the, the goal first trip home uh-huh. and she actually had a reunion. Mm-hmm. And so she was blogging about it. And I remember reading it at work and I just was like, it just tore me to pieces cause it was so emotional. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if that was the first thing, but at that point I had started kind of looking into like the Facebook groups and I was like, I had no mm-hmm. idea this stuff existed. Like, like literally my mind was blown. Sure. I because mean, how I would obviously, you? yeah. I mean, how would I have known? And and then I I met um, a friend of mine, Karen. Um, yeah. So I had my friend Karen, who's from St. Louis. She was actually the first person that I kind of connected with through one of those groups. And so I met up with her for dinner one night. This was in oh, I want to say it was in like 2014, 20, 2014, um, we'll just say. And I met up for, with her for dinner and I we just kind of sat there for a couple hours and talked and there was we just found a lot of similar like personality traits I guess that a lot of adoptees share that of course I was still cl- I was just mind blown, you know. Sure. Like what? Um, like what were you Just, you know, like um just the kind of the, you know, I grew up and I was kind of the the jokester in my group of friends and I would always make fun of myself, just Asian jokes and that sort of thing. And I, I always, mm-hmm. I never thought twice about it. But then like, as I started to look into this, I was like, you know, maybe that was kind of a coping mechanism. And she's like, you know, she kind of said she, she identified with that too. And just, yeah. um, you know, some kind of like self-worth and abandonment issues and that sort of thing. It was just all things mm-hmm. that she, everything I said, she was like, yep, been there too. And, um, so I went home that night and as soon as I walked in the door and I was talking to my, my boyfriend and I just like started bawling. I was like, I just was, I wasn't unhappy. I was just so overwhelmed. Cause I was like, this is so weird. Like I never knew that other people out there felt the same way. And I didn't even know that I felt this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of really kind of sparked the interest. And that's when I started emailing Holt and emailing goal and trying to see what all they could do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so 
who is uh so you started emailing Holton Gold. Do you know which uh who you reached out to out there? Uh like name wise, no, I don't know. You don't remember? So this no. was what, what year did you start? Doing I think this? it was twenty I think it was twenty thirteen I think it was twenty thirteen. Okay. Um was when I started. And what were you asking them? Um, I just kind of said I wanted to start a birth family search and I, I still didn't know all that much about it, but I just knew that birth family search was a thing. So I was like, all right, well, you know, um, let's do one of those. And so, <laughs> um, so I, I just kind of gave them my file number because I did have that and I told them what was in my file and then I just kind of sent it off and didn't really get anywhere. I mean, they, um, I think they said they had found an old address for my mother, but that a telegram, you know, cause they always send telegrams, um, and, you know, so that was returned unanswered. And so that was that was the, the last thing that I'd heard. And I kind of just got discouraged because, you know, it's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was and Holt, of course they won't. the telegram. I, that was um, actually I think that was KSS. I think I did a search through that. I don't know. It was either it was either goal or is it KSS, I think is what it is. Um, it was one of those two. Holt really wasn't that helpful. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, I, I heard it like uh, the stories I've heard is that it depends on uh, which social worker you get. Well, it's I'm like, sure. It's very, yeah. yeah, it's like person dependent. So it's like some of them yeah. are really, really helpful and others are not helpful at all. It's like, I don't right. know. Yeah, somebody should uh, put together a database. <laughs> right. Like, who like, should I talk who to? Who should I talk to? Yeah, there's got to be a way. But I'm sure if like Holt saw that, they'd be like, oh, well, that person's got to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know what they would do. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so they Holt wasn't helpful, and then they sent a telegram to your mother's house and didn't get a response back. Where do you like? Where do you go from there? Um, I didn't really go anywhere from there. I just kind of, I, I literally just kind of stopped for a while, and I was like, you know, this is stupid. Like, I'm not going to find anything unless I'm actually there. And um, uh-huh. you know, I, I decided that I wanted to go back. Um, so I applied for the first trip home in 2014, and. I went through the interview process and I felt really good about it. And then they said no. And I think the reason was that that year they were giving priority to adoptees that were born in 1975 or before. Hmm. Um, and so I really think that was the reason why. But regardless of that, when I, when I got the rejection email, I just kind of fell apart and just had a mental breakdown because I just was, you know, it's, just, it's the rejection thing, you know, yeah, yeah. and you just kind of feel desperate and you don't feel like you're ever going to find anything. And, Um, you know, so that was hard. And then, um, so I kind of, again, took a step back and I didn't really do anything else with it. And then I decided to apply again in 2015. And then that time I was accepted. Okay. So you went back in 2015? Yes. And, and how was, how was that? Um, it was, uh, definitely a memorable trip. I, um, so I actually did a GoFundMe or my ex did a GoFundMe to help pay for the expenses, like the plane ticket and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So that was, um, a first for me. And then, um, the trip itself was it, it was incredible. Um, the group of people that we had was was um, really amazing, and I just I I miss those people every day, and it was a really really good group. Um, Did you keep in touch with anyone? And I think I probably experienced every single emotion you can possibly experience while I was over there because I saw people having reunions, and I got really jealous. Which you know you don't want to admit that, but I think it's normal to feel yeah, that yeah. way. Um, you know, and then we visited Holt and did a case review and I saw the social worker sitting in front of me and she had a whole nother file next to her that probably contained my mother's name and all other relevant information. And she never opened that file, 
Um, mm-hmm. All she did was show me things that I already knew. So that was infuriating. So it was just like anger and frustration and happiness for your friends and happiness that you were getting to see this beautiful country for the first time. But um, just like literally kind of an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Do you keep in touch with any of those people anymore that you went on the trip with? Yeah, no, I do. Um, you know, a couple of the girls live out in LA, so I'm hoping to try to meet up with them now that I live out here. But, um, you know, it's in, you know, we're from all over the world, so it's kind of hard to keep in touch, but we still have a Facebook group that we post in sometimes. Cool. Well, that's good. Yeah. You were sitting with Holt and you were reviewing your file. They have this whole other separate file next to you that they, they weren't showing you. It was like, why even bring that other file to the case? Review? I don't know. Yeah. I have no idea. Like if you know, you're not going to show me that information. Then why would you even show me that it's there? You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it was, it, and the lady was very nice and she was, she seemed empathetic, but at the same time, I'm like, don't you want to help people like us? Like, don't you want, that's the part that is so infuriating is that, um, you know, these people say that they want to help, but at the same time, my, um, I found out later that my file is almost completely incorrect. Um, you know, one of the other girls on the trip found out that her birthday was just made up. So mm-hmm. she has no idea when she was actually born. Um, you know, just all this, all this stuff that people, you know, in the seventies and eighties, the, the records were so falsified and they literally would just put down whatever story sounded good and made the, the, the child adaptable or, or made some information. And it was just, you know, it's, 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 um, it's a lot to sift through when you don't know what's true and what's not. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you come about finding out that the information in your file was, was falsified? So the first thing I found out was falsified was my birthday. Um, so in my file review, one very useful piece of information I was actually able to get was the address of the hospital that I was, it was actually a clinic that I was born at. Mm -hmm. Um, so we did some research and we found that the clinic was still open just at a slightly different address. And it was a couple hours South of Seoul. Okay. Um, so the next day, um, it was in Suwon. Suwon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the next day we, uh, I took a translator with me and we took the train down, um, Let's see. We went down there the next day with the translator. We found the address of the clinic. We went to the clinic and my translator, her name was Sammy. Um, she went up and started talking to the two nurses and um, she uh, was explaining my story. I had a missing person flyer that we were posting around the city and um, the nurses just kind of had this really sympathetic look on their face and they just it it was hard to even look at their faces because I knew that what they were thinking and you know um so eventually they actually took us back to see the doctor Mm -hmm. who obviously wasn't the same doctor who delivered me but he had been around for a while and they pulled out a book of handwritten records of all of the patients they had treated in the year 1985 and it said you know so-and-so's name what they had done that sort of thing um so they did some checking and they looked at the day of my birth and they didn't see anything. And so that was kind of a dead end. And then the nurse was like, well, let's actually go back a few days. So they go back and on October 19th, um, so before my my given birthday, um, there is a record of a woman who had come in and had had a baby via C-section, which I didn't know through my file, um, and was relinquished to hold. So my that was me. Um, that was actually my my birth record. So from that file, um, 
So the doctor said, you know, I'm not going to release this information to you unless we get a letter from Goal. So we immediately got on the phone to Goal and said, we need this letter right now, like fax it over to this doctor. So they did that and mm-hmm. he released. So then I was able to actually get my mother's name. Um, and then um, just the fact that my birthday was was incorrect. So that was the first thing that I had found that was actually wrong, which, you know, like that, it doesn't really bother me now. But at the time I was like, wow. So for the last 30 years, my birthday has been on October 30th, but it's actually on October 19th. And in my irrational brain, I was like, do I change it? Like, do I change my whole thing? You know, which I'm not going to, but, yeah, yeah. Um, you know. So, so that do was you the celebrate first thing. one and not the other now, or you just keep I, you know going? I, I just when I got home I kind of we we kind of acknowledged the the actual birthday, but I mean it's, there's no point to really changing it. You sure, know, it right. is what it is. Yeah. So, so where did that thread lead you? Um, so from there we went to the police station um, and tried to do a name search, and I don't remember what happened that they couldn't find anything, but. Um, they had found, they found like an address of her apartment that she used to live in, but that apartment had since been demolished and replaced. Mm. So we went there, um, and essentially the rest of the day was kind of a dead end and we didn't really find anything. And I was leaving the day after next. So like, I only had like a day and a half left in Korea. So at that point I was like, you know, I have her name. That's more, much more than I've ever had. And it's really the only thing I've ever thought I could maybe find for real. Um, so that was, you know, that was good enough for me at the time. Um, so then the next day, um, we were, I was with, um, one of the girls from the trip and we went to go do, um, handbook pictures. Oh yeah. And so we were at the place that did the pictures and we were with two of the guys that were staff members for goal. And, um, I walked outside to smoke a cigarette and Jacob, or was it Jacob? Yeah, it was Jacob. Um, one of the staff members came running outside and he's like, um, Sylvia's on the phone and Sylvia was another staff member for goal. And, um, so she, I take the phone and she's like, Sally, are you smoking a cigarette? And I was like, I mean, yeah. And she took, she takes this deep breath and she's like, well, we found your mother. And I just like, like I was literally in the middle. I don't even remember where we were, some shopping district. And I was in the middle of the street. I was just like trying not to just like collapse and, you know, cause I mean, you know, I don't know. Um, that's just not news that you ever expect to receive. Yeah. Um, And so she kind of told me and I was just listening and she said, you know, we found her, the police were able to do a search and they found her and called her and she said, yes, I had a daughter and yes, I gave her up and, you know, um, basically said that she wanted to meet me like that night because they told her I was leaving the next day. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was able to rush back to the guest house and change and my, the same translator from the day before came down and um, uh, she called to get the address of where we were going. And, um, you know, the first time I saw, I, the first time Sammy called her, she kind of let me talk to her, which my mother doesn't really know any English. So she was translating and, you know, all she said was, I'm, I'm really sorry. And, um, you know, I'm, that's all she said, you know? Um, so yeah, it was, um, we went down to Siwan and she actually owns a, a restaurant down there. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the when I walked out of the train station and I saw her, like I've I've never seen anybody that looks like me, you know. Yeah. Um, where you can see like the 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 facial similarities and like it was it was insane and like neither one of us cried because I'm, um, you know I had I had done a lot of crying for a lot of reasons on that trip and so I was just kind of expecting it but I was li- I think I was in shock like I think I just literally didn't believe what was happening mm-hmm. um and she just kind of gave me a big hug and um you know just told me that I grew up really well and 
um, yeah, it literally could not have been a more perfect reunion. It was just not anything that I was expecting. Like, I almost feel guilty talking about it because I know that what happened with me was something that so many other people want. Um, and I guess that's just kind of like the guilt that comes with knowing that you're one of thousands of people that, that all we want is this one thing to happen, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I know it was, it was a crazy night and I, she, you know, she wanted me to stay, but obviously I could, I was flying out the next day. And so, Mm -hmm. um, it was just, it was, it was crazy. It was like when I still, when I think back about it, like I still, I don't even think I've really come to terms with that night because it was so, there was so much to just comprehend, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, what kind of stuff were you feeling the whole time that you were, you were with her and just that short time that you had with her? Um, it was just, I didn't want to leave her, you know, like I didn't want to, um, I wanted to stay there and she was like fussing over me like a mother. And like, I really have never had like a real, like my stepmother and I are very close, but like growing up, I never had like that fussy mother who would like take you shopping and go out to dinner with you and, and, you know, wipe your face for you, you know, like just stupid stuff. But like, I just wanted her to keep doing, you know, like to keep fussing over me and like to act like a mother, you know? Um, and it was just things that so many other people not take for granted, but that they don't think about because they have a mother that they, they call every day or that they go to. And not, again, not to say I don't have that because my stepmother is a wonderful woman, but it's just, you know, it's different, you know? Yeah, no, um, absolutely. Yeah. So I just, it was, there was so much just literal, just shock, you know, mm-hmm. I just, um, you know, and the, the interesting thing that she told me was that had I come a year earlier, she would have said that she didn't want to meet me because she, it took her a long time to even make peace with herself for what she, not what she did, but she felt really guilty. You know, she has two yeah. other kids that were older than me at the time. And she, oh, yeah. um, you know, she planned, she had a name picked out for me. Like she never planned to give me up for adoption. It was just the, the financial situation of the family was not good at the time. Mm. So, um, you know, she, she, she said she, you know, tried to commit suicide a couple times and then finally opened this restaurant to kind of get her mind right. And she finally felt like she was in a good place. And she's like, if you would come last year, which I was not accepted to the gold trip the year before. So I just find it really ironic. Um, she's like, if you would come here last year, I would have said I didn't want to meet you because I wasn't ready. Wow. Well, so, I guess, so it must have been maybe fortuitous that uh, yes. you didn't yeah, get no, accepted I, to the gold trip. I feel program. like it happened for a reason, you know? Yeah, because the timing worked out for the both of you, I guess. Yeah. And yeah. when, did, when did she start the restaurant? Um, I think she actually started it like within the last year or two. Oh, wow. I don't know so for sure, was... but I don't think it was very, I don't think she'd had it for too long. What was she doing before that? Um, so she's actually um, a food researcher. So she, I don't know exactly what she's done with that, but apparently she and my birth father are very well educated and very intelligent people. So she was um, like, she, food researching was, I guess, what she's known for. Um and I guess she's pretty well known for it too. Huh. What, what That's is, all I know. What is food I, I don't actually know what a food researcher does, but whatever it is, she's good at it. <laughs> all right. If I have any listeners who are food researchers, right, please yes. email me and tell me what this is. <laughs> tell, please, and then please email me and tell me what, what we, you do. We, we want to know what a food researcher is. <laughs> Did you exchange yeah. information at the end of this meeting? Did you do you keep in touch with her at all? Yeah, I do. Um, I, so I have two full brother. I have a full brother and a full sister, which is crazy because I always thought I had half siblings at least. But mm. she actually had two kids from the same father before me. Okay. Um, so I actually talk to them quite regularly, and then whenever they go to see her, we try and Skype or Facetime. But um, you know, I don't talk to her as much as I'd like to. But um, you know, she's she's very happy to hear from me. Um, I'm actually hoping to move there. Um, 
either at the end of this year or the end of next year to get my dual citizenship. So then I'll get to spend more time. Oh, wow. So you're, you're going to go yeah. from California out to Korea? Yeah, just for a few months. Um, so, you know, because my, my ultimate goal in life is to ride for Korea in the Olympics. And oh, yeah? so in order to do that, I have to be a citizen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, um, the citizenship they said can take up to six months, but I'm hoping that it only takes maybe three or four. Mm, all right. Well, that'll be, so. that'll be awesome. Are you in contact with goal right now and, uh, all the Korean services? Try to figure yeah. Out how to do that? Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what I can do from here to start the process, but I don't think there's a whole lot I can do, but, um, once I'm there, I think it'll go pretty quickly. Hopefully one would have thought that, uh, you, there would be a lot to do because of just the advent of technology and, you know, you, yeah, you wouldn't documents think so. back and forth. <laughs> yeah, you would think, but apparently you have to be there because if they have to send you something or I, I have no idea, but you do, you have to be there is all I know. Huh? All right. So, so you got to make another trip over. Is that going to be the second time back for you then? Yeah. Yep. That'll be the second time. Wow. And, and so are, are you planning on living in your own place? Or are you going to move in with your mom? Um, I'll probably actually move in with my sister. She's really gung ho about me staying in her extra bedroom. And I'm oh, like, really? Hey, that's, that's fine with me. So <laughs> yeah. Well, that's pretty awesome that you have a place to stay then. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm excited. Whereabouts does she live? In Suwon too? They're all, they're all in Suwon. Yeah. Okay. Suwon's yeah. pretty big. I mean, it's like, because yeah. they were thinking about moving the capital there for a number of years, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, because that's like when it, I think it's, uh, you know, it's not the second biggest, that's Busan, but um, I think because that's there's a pretty huge uh, castle or a palace down there, isn't there? Oh, really? I don't know. I didn't spend very much time there, so I don't, I need to like research and see. Yeah, you um, should ask. Because I, cause I yeah. think I, I visited there once uh, when I was living there when my parents, my adoptive parents came to Korea to visit for the winter. We took a, took a trip down to Suwon and. Uh, huh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that they uh, they wanted to move the capital there for a while because Seoul was getting like so large and just like insane. <laughs> wow, yeah, that makes sense. But, yeah, uh, no, I was surprised when I went down there. It wasn't I, like for some reason I thought it was going to be really small, but like, oh, like yeah? okay, this is like this is me going down there. I was picturing like all these ajumas like sitting on park benches and talk like like some like small remote town. <laughs> oh, thanks. My roommate just brought me chocolate. Oh, um, nice. But oh, yeah, no, I, this is what I was picturing. And I was like, we're going to walk up to these old Ajumais and we're going to ask them, hey, do you know this? And of course, that's not like I get off and it's like this bustling metropolitan area yeah, with buses it's everywhere. A and I'm like, all right, well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is not so, what I yeah, pictured. This is well, not the was, golden ages. Like I thought it was going to be. What was the picture so. of Korea that you had before you got there? I don't even know. Like I really, I Seoul was about what I imagined, like a busy, busy, big city. But uh -huh. everything else, I, I, I don't know if I'd really pictured anything to be honest with you yeah i feel like as a kid uh my picture of korea was like very rural and mountainous yeah, and yeah like, i would agree with that actually i don't know maybe it's like old episodes of mash or something it was just like <laughs> a lot of rice patties and nothing else <laughs> a lot of straw hats yep. <laughs> it's like yeah yep. that is not korea at all really like no, in the rural parts sure but like most of the cities and everything are like they're, I think they're closer to New York than anything oh, else. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Seoul is like one of the most technologically advanced cities in the world. Oh, so. absolutely. Yeah. I think they're already working on a 5G internet. So yeah. you don't have to worry about uh, your Skype light your FaceTime ahead. dropping then. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I know. FaceTime me when I'm in Korea. I bet it will work better. Yeah, probably will. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. So you're planning on going back to Korea maybe next year or the year after? Um, either this fall or the year or next fall. It's, it okay. just, it kind of depends on if I have money to go for one. Um, and two, just, you know, with my job here, I have to go whenever my coach is, is, um, you know, not having as much going on. So that's yeah. kind of the off season is in the winter mm -hmm. so that, 
you know, might be the best time of year to go. So is she going to go down to uh, Rio this year? Or what's, the, what's the deal? No. So she, um, she didn't have a horse qualified this year. She rides for Canada actually. Oh really? Um, so she's been to the Olympics twice. Um, she went in 2004 and 2012 cool. and um, she didn't have a horse qualified for this year, but she just acquired a new horse that she'll hopefully have for the next go round. So, nice. so she's, um, she's actually the game for a while. Then. Yeah. She's been around for a while. She's um, you know, and she's, she's somebody that I've always looked up to because she's kind of had to scrap her way up to the top and she's never really had anything handed to her. So she knows what it's like to kind of start from nothing and, and work your way up. So I've really always appreciated her work ethic and, and how far she's come just on that, you know? Yeah. So is she kind of grooming you too? Do, uh, does she know you're going to ride for career? That's the point. Well, she, you know, <laughs> it was funny because I haven't actually told a lot of people that that's what I want to do because it kind of seems like a crazy goal when you say that, you know, especially when you're not really anywhere close to achieving it. And so she was one of the first people I ever told. Mm -hmm. Um, and instead of like kind of laughing or being like, Oh, that's cute. You know, she goes the, her first reaction was like, all right, well, why don't you go in 2020? And I was like, okay, okay, well that's like four years away. So let's, 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 let's let's slow down a little bit. I don't even have citizenship yet. (laughs) Right. Like, let's just not, you know, it's good. It's going to be a long road. She's like, there's no reason why you can't go in 2020. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of, um, you know, she she also thinks that it might be a good goal to go to the Asian Games in 2018. Oh yeah. Um, um, so that's kind of the the big goal for right now. Um, but you know, the thing it's that really kind quick. of it it is, yeah. Um, the thing that really kind of inspired me to kind of go with her, which is kind of stupid, honestly, is the the Korean show jumping team, which is a different sport, but it's still one of the equestrian Olympic sports. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually sent her. Um, some of their riders from Korea to train with my coach now. Wow! Um, so they sent them over here, I think, for like six weeks to train for the last Asian Games. Uh-huh. Um, so just the fact, and again, this is so stupid, like it, it doesn't have anything to do with me, but just the fact that she's kind of worked with the Korean Federation already and like no, kind of yeah. has that, you know, I just thought it was kind of... That um, might carry some weight. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. So, you know, anything you can do to help, but just the fact that... Um, you know, a lot of her students that I've interviewed will tell you that like when Holly believes that you can do something, it means that you're ready to do it. And she will never like, she'll always push you to where you want to go. And she'll always make sure that she does what she can to get you there. And it's just, you know, in my short time here, I've really discovered that to be true. So what's her whole name? Holly? Um, Holly Bennett is her full name or Holly Bennett. Awad is her, is her full name. Um, she's got a hyphenated last name. Um, but yeah, she's, um, She's great. She's been really, really awesome to work for. So that's awesome. Did you get in touch? Did, have you been talking more? Or did you have any exposure to that Korean team when they came and trained with her? No, this was before. Let's see, the last Asian game. I think the Asian games were every four years. So this would have been 20, 2014, I guess. So this was before I was really oh, super okay. close with her. But I, and I actually didn't even know that they had done that until I talked to her like last year about it. So that's pretty awesome. And what yeah. kind of. Uh, inroads are you making in korea in terms of the the horses um well so the korean equestrian federation is somebody that i really need to get in touch with because i want to to tell them that like this is my plan um because i don't know if they have any way of supporting anything that i do or you know so but um the the biggest issue is just that i i feel like i need to have like i just feel like i don't have the legitimacy on my record to say like hey, this is what I want to do. Like, I'm still kind of starting out. So, um, you know, I've been kind of nervous to email them because I don't want them to be like, oh, little girl, you're cute. But, you know, that's that's nice. But, I, you know, I, I just kind of have trouble 
um, figuring out if it's something that they would actually be interested in. But I, you know, and the other thing too, is I, I need to have somebody translate the email that I write to, cause I don't know if there's anybody that speaks English there. Well, so. again, maybe, uh, maybe goal can help you out with that too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it's just a matter of kind of putting the pieces together and, um, you know, I mean, who knows what's going to happen between now and 2020. I think it would be cool to go in 2020 because it's in Tokyo. Oh yeah. Um, so it's, it's not too far of a, a jump. Right. How do they get yeah. the horses over there? Uh, you'll fly them. They, they actually have planes and, um, one of the options is FedEx. You can actually FedEx your horse anywhere in the world so oh, really? yeah how does that work um they put it in like a they put it in a box like not a box like not like a they cardboard a big box, package box. <laughs> <laughs> like they put it in um uh like they have literal like horse stalls that they can put on a plane and uh-huh. then um they they just put them on the plane and fly them wherever you want to go I know right. it's crazy. Like, no, like everybody that I've told that that you can fly a horse somewhere, they're like, "Are you serious?" I'm like, "Yeah." I mean, it's it's not cheap, but you can do it. <laughs> well, it's not a cheap sport to begin with, right? I mean, it's no, no, it's sport. it's definitely not a cheap sport. So, um, you know, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I chose it. Some days I'm like, why did I not choose like like basket weaving or something where it doesn't cost any money? Because <laughs> basket weaving is not an Olympic sport. <laughs> no, it is definitely not. But there's also cheaper Olympic sports out there like running. I can run. Like all I have to do is buy running shoes. You know, like why did thing, I not though, do that? Because I, I run quite a bit and it's for all of you potential budding runners out there. Running is still kind of it's not, you know, horse horse expensive, but it's still an expensive sport because like finding the right running shoes for you to, is like a trial and error thing that costs yeah, a lot true. of money. All the gear costs a lot of money. Registering for the races costs a ton of money. Like, okay. so it's, well, that makes sense. it's not as cheap as I, I originally thought. Cause I had the going in, I had to kind of have the original <laughs> thing. I was like, you know, I like, can run a lot. Free. It can't be yeah. it's free. It's free. All you gotta do is move your legs quicker around the block. <laughs> Exactly. Like it's not that hard. And I don't but, even do yeah. it like competitively or anything like that. So I can only imagine how much it costs to actually try to compete. Not that I could. I mean, those guys who are running like, you know, four minute, 30 second miles. <laughs> oh yeah. On, on yeah. average There's, for a marathon. I'm like, I like average like nine and a half minutes. That's, that's a, like my best mile that is ever. A realistic. That's a realistic goal is to do yeah. that. So like I'm close, right? Like I'm like I just gotta cut my time in half and then I'm good. It, it like can't that's be that totally hard. doable. It's not that hard. <laughs> there are no uh, spats involved or chaps yep. or Yeah, now I'm changing sports, I just crops. decided. <laughs> All right. Well yeah. listen, I mean the best of luck to you out there in, uh, uh, when you. you move to Korea, uh FedEx and your horses around <laughs> and uh you know, meeting up yeah. and continuing your relationship with your biological family. How does your have you told your father, your adoptive father and mother about this plan? Yeah, yeah. They're um uh well they you know, they know that I wanna do this, but I I don't know how seriously they take it, which I understand. I mean it's a big goal. Um but yeah, I know they know they're they're supportive. Um you know, they kind of they kind of know that I, I live a lifestyle of like kind of by the seat of my pants. So um <laughs> You know, I think they've they've accepted that that I'm kind of that that child of the family. So, um, you know, but yeah, no, they're supportive of it. I think I think that they will be happy to see any success that I have, if any. So, great. Well, yeah. Again, congratulations uh, on on your moves so far to California. Yeah, thank you. Your reunification. I mean, that that's amazing. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad that you have such a good relationship that your sister will let you move in. Over there yeah, no, it's great. She's she's really excited. And, and, you know, the whole reason why I 
often to talk about this is, you know, and it's honestly still difficult for me to talk about because I, I feel still kind of self-conscious, like kind of what I talked about, the guilt of feeling yeah. of having a reunion. But honestly, like when I first started, somebody's reunion story was what inspired me to start. So like, yeah. you know, if I can share with one person that decides to start this journey and even honestly, without the reunion, the reunion is the icing on the cake and not that I'm not grateful for it, but honestly the self discovery and the self growth that you go through on this journey, as I'm sure, you know, um, is just second to none. And you really learn about yourself and you learn why you think the way that you do. And you kind of are able to come to terms with a lot more things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if one person out there hears this podcast or reads any of my blogs or anything like that, I mean, that's that's mission accomplished for me because I just want other people to know that they're not the only ones, you know, because yeah. I, I did. I thought I was the only one. <clears throat> well, you're definitely so, not the only one. Yeah. And uh, the people listening uh, should know that, that they're not the only ones either. Obviously, yeah. I mean, the podcast and I think your story and everybody else's story is a testament to that. Uh, speaking Absolutely. of your blog, uh, where can people find the blog or get in touch with you and uh, read you on the social media? Um, they can find me on um, social media just at Sally Spickard. So the blog is KC, like Kansas City, and then CAD, like so kckad.tumblr.com. All right. So kckad.tumblr.com. Yeah, I guess I should change that. It's a California CAD now or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, these are <laughs> Wherever these are, I end up I guess, next. your roots. Well, now the next is going to be Korea, Korea yeah, CAD. Yeah, Korea CAD. It's uh, repetitive, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. cat equestrian or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there you go. There you go. That would be awesome. All right. Yeah. Well, again, yeah. uh, best of luck to you and your move to Korea and the Asian Games in 2018 and the Olympics in 2020. We'll definitely yeah. be looking out for you. I mean, yeah. I, I hate rooting against the U.S., but uh, if there's a <laughs> if there's an adoptee in, on, on Korean on the Korean equestrian team, uh, I'll definitely be looking out for you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. I appreciate t- you taking the time to uh, talk to me and to uh, come on the show. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. All right, thanks. All right, and that was my interview with Sally Spickard. I just want to say, Sally, I hope to see you in Tokyo in 2020. Even if it is for the South Korean team, I'll still be rooting for you, and I'm sure the rest of us CADs will be as well, and hopefully all adoptees and everybody everywhere, because... We, you know, the Olympics to me is just the epitome of uh, what a peaceful world would look like. You know, we're, we're nations can work together and compete against each other in a way that is celebratory and where we're cheering people on without being like completely nationalistic about it or obnoxious. Uh, that to me is like the, the Olympics because I'm not really a big sports guy. You guys know I'm not a big sports guy. Uh, I like watching baseball, but. This is like the the Olympics to me are are the pinnacle of what sports should be. I, I don't like watching the things with all the attitudes and the internal sports drama and stuff like that. And I know the IOC is not like the greatest organization. They're no FIFA, but they're not the greatest organization. But the the spirit of the games to me is the purest form of what sports can do, and I love that. I really love watching it. I, I you know I love waiting every two years for it. Uh, between the summer and the Winter Olympics, and I'm looking forward to the Winter Olympics in Seoul. In Seoul, the next Winter Olympics in Seoul, in Pyeongchang, in uh, Gangwondo. It's going to be amazing, I hope. I'm a, I'm a winter guy, so I like that kind of stuff. Anyways, listen, you guys have a great week. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, you can always email me, get in touch with me in case you uh, like the show, or if you want to be a guest on the show, or you know somebody who'd like to be a guest on the show. 
email me. You can email me at therambleradhd at gmail.com. You can tweet me on Twitter at therambleradhd. You can follow me there. You can like posts. You can retweet things. You can follow all the things, okay? Uh, finally, you can check out the uh, podcast on Podbean, on iTunes. If you could rate me on iTunes, that'd be great. So you can check me out on Google Play. All And the latest episode is always up on SoundCloud. So check all those things out there. I really appreciate it. Music today is provided by The Bell at Needle Drop Records, as well as a collective effort, which is uh, on SoundCloud. You can find them on SoundCloud. You can find the address of their music in the show notes as well. All right. I want to thank Sally again for coming on the show this week, and I look forward to my discussion next week. Hopefully, you guys will tune in with John Lebrec. Jean Lebrec. I'm a, it, it's a French name. I'm probably mispronouncing it or being really rude. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyways, you should tune in next week. Uh, hey, don't forget. Don't forget about the uh, the Cad Diaries if you're in Chicago next week, August 20th. All right? Check those out if you're in the area. Zeke's a cool guy. Big shout out. Follow him on Twitter and check out his uh, website as well. All right? And also check out his podcast, The Non-Members. It's a cool podcast. I like listening to it. And uh, he just had a Karina Dabdi on there too. Uh, Drew, who is a... Fashionista is a men's fashion guy out there in Milwaukee. Milwaukee, the good land. It's Algonquin. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, and that's the uh, the show, I guess. So enjoy watching the rest of the Olympics this week. Congratulations to the U.S. teams. They're currently dominating. I hope they continue their uh, domination of the Olympics. But hey, good luck to all the teams out there. You guys are better athletes than I'll ever be, that's for sure. And uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Have a good one. Peace out.